1: All right, here we go. It is Irish Breakdown time, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I'm Vince D'Addario. I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. With me, as always, is that guy. He's Brian Driscoll, the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And we are going to continue our position, our off-season you overview got a little, You position. got a little itch there,
2: I, man? I have an itch right <laughs> on the tip of my nose, okay. and I can't get
1: rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, argh, argh. um, But we're going to continue our positional uh offseason overview and we're going to talk about the defensive line and we're probably going to ping pong back and forth offense defense offense defense the quarterbacks yesterday defensive line today and this is the first position Brian that we're going to talk about where there is a coaching change mm-hmm. as well so that obviously has to factor into this too yeah
2: yeah a lot of turnover at this position or at least important turnover at I would this say position, yeah you know, and yeah. You don't lose a lot of numbers, but you lose two captains and two starters, two multi-year, three-plus year starters. Yeah, Kurt Heinisch ended up starting for four years and was part of the rotation for five. Yeah, Myra Tungvaloa was a multi-year starter; would have started even longer if you know he got hurt in two thousand eighteen. And then you lose your position coach, and so. Uh, you know, you, you look and say, well, you know, I, I think they can overcome the, the losses of the veterans. And Mike Elson has proven time and time again that he can lose guys to the NFL and then get them going. Right. And we've seen it. We, you know, lose, lose Jerry Tillery in 2018. Then you go into 2019, and, you know, Dalen Hayes gets hurt early in the season. Julian Aguara is banged up all year and but you know still good line then you lose like and Khalid Kareem you go into 2020 you're every bit as good as you were the year before if not better then you lose Dalen Hayes and Adio Gandhiji you come out in 2021 and you have your most productive defensive line year in a, a, over a decade almost 20 years yeah. and so yeah. you just kind of felt like okay they're going to be fine well now we have to be honest about the fact that there is some uncertainty now because you don't know about you know, there's a new position coach, and how is he going to mesh yeah. with the with the returners? How is he going to mesh with the newcomers? How is he going to mesh with the defense? How you know it's a guy that hasn't coached a lot of defensive line in his career, even though everybody I talked to says that's where he should be coaching, right? right. Which I understand, you know, because I've I viewed myself as more of a quarterbacks guy. I only really coached quarterbacks. Actually, I was never actually the quarterback's coach. Right. I was going to say you were always either running backs or wide receivers. Right. right? And then now, a couple of years at Christopher Newport, our head coach was the quarterbacks coach. I ended up doing a lot of the quarterback stuff, sure. but I was never the actual quarterback's coach. And you know, so so you you know, just be just because you don't coach the position you think you're best at doesn't mean that you're not able to coach that position. And so. We're gonna find out if, if Al Washington yeah. can be that guy. I'm confident he will based on what people tell me and you know the fact that he coached D-line for Marcus Freeman for a year, which then springboarded him into the Michigan job, which then sprung him into the Ohio State job. He he turned down the Tennessee defensive coordinator job a year ago, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is, is that's all what we're being told now, right? So we've evaluated the hire. We both, I think we both agree that it was a excellent hire by Marcus Freeman. We're both optimistic about what Al Washington is going to bring to the table as a coach and recruiter, but we're also, and have always been, show me people. And so until we get a chance to see coach Washington in action, it's hard for me to say definitively, yes, the defensive line is going to be every bit as good as we thought it was going to be. I can't say that in good faith and good conscience because I've never seen Al Washington coach. So... You know, that's kind of where I'm at with this whole thing, man, is, sure, is no, that yeah. is, you know, there's a lot of potential coming back. And the thing is, Notre Dame needs this to continue to be the backbone of the defense. And there's just a little bit more uncertainty about it. Now, the flip side of that is the uncertainty could have included losing Elston, losing Heinish, losing Myron tungavaloa mosa losing Isaiah Fosky, and losing Jason Adamiola. Yeah, right. It could have been that. (laughs) That (laughs) That wasn't out of the realm of possibility. And this show would have been completely different. different.
1: Yeah, completely. And
2: and it would completely change the expectations for the entire team in 2022. Absolutely. Getting those two guys back is certainly a phenomenal place to start when you look at this, you know, where Notre Dame is going to be. There's question marks, but. There's a lot of talent, a lot of potential coming. But let's just say this. Al Washington's walking into a pretty yeah. good situation. You just, you just took Dame.
1: the words right out of my mouth because the the defensive line position at Notre Dame was a sought-after position when it became open. Okay, When Mike Elston decided that he was going to leave and he was going to go to Michigan, there were a lot of people that wanted this job. I mean, this was not a Marcus Freeman who was going out there and begging people to take it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that needs to be understood. This This is a... Similar, and I think you mentioned this on the board one time, uh, similar to the offensive line job at Notre Dame. There there were people that reached out to Notre Dame about this job. Good quality coaches wanted the offensive line job and they wanted the defensive line job because of what is returning, because it is not a a barren wasteland of depth chart. Like You can have a lot of success and be a mediocre coach and coach the defensive line. I'm not saying Al Washington is a mediocre coach. I'm saying he – I think he's a good coach. I think he's a he has the potential of being a great coach. But he has a lot to work with. He right. has a lot to work with, and it's a great situation for him to walk into.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: I, I think the defensive line is one of those positions where unless you have just insane talent, right, like Georgia, Bama talent, I think you need a really good coach, you sure. know, and, and and I look at some of the guys on the, on the roster and I say, you know, that guy's got a lot of potential, but he needs to get coached. Isaiah Foskey being a perfect example. I mean, Isaiah Foskey was being recruited to play tight end until Notre Dame convinced him to play defensive line. True. Outside of the Adamiolas, there's not a lot of guys on the on the roster that just came in as like finished products. Howard Cross, you know, obviously with his dad and his background was too. But I, I think you need to have a, a strong coach at Notre Dame right now, and and so I I do think there's a ton of talent to work with, but it needs to be developed more. You know, as you look at guys like Foskey, there's a lot of room for his game to have to grow. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of room for, you know, Jacob Lacey's kind of got to get back on track. Aaron Sperger, Riley Mills moving. There's a lot, there's a lot of moving pieces and those moving pieces are why I probably have a little bit more, not concern, but just questions now than I would have two weeks ago, simply because of the unknown of, you know, I, I can only speak to things I know sure, and things I see and things that I can evaluate. I can tell you what other people have told me about our Washington, but I can't tell you from firsthand experience. So I, 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 you know, but again, people that I trust are like, just trust me, this is going to be really good. I'm like, all right, cool. That's an important piece to this.
1: And I think uh, you are, you've been doing this YouTube thing and this podcast thing for so long that you just accidentally transitioned and I love it because mm-hmm. we're going to transition into the quote unquote questions uh, that we have about this group questions going into this off season, you know, prior to spring and all of that. And, uh, you know, obviously we we talked a little bit about, you know, the coaching change and, and some question marks that we've got there. But let's talk about questions that we have with the depth chart, because there are some questions that
2: would have existed no matter who the coach exactly,
1: was. Exactly. Absolutely correct. And And we have when we came, I remember having this conversation with you a couple of weeks ago when mm-hmm. we came off of the national championship game and they were, you know, the announcers were just enamored with the, the inside of the uh, the defensive line for Georgia and just how massive they were and everything. And then when you and I talked about it, Notre Dame doesn't really, they do it a different way. They, right. they don't have the massive body beef in the middle. They've got guys like Jason Adamiola and, and what he brings to the table. So, that's a bit of a question, though. They don't right. have that big, beefy guy in the middle, really.
2: Well, and I don't think you need that big, beefy guy. I just I feel like when you look at the inside group and you look at the guys coming back, when Jason Adamiola is your biggest guy in the rotation, that's a problem, sure. right? Like Jason Adamiola is able to get by by being undersized because he's so athletic and his hands are so good and so strong and those type of things. But you don't want to have a, a, a rotation filled with guys that are 275. Right, right, and that's a concern that I have coming into this year. I mean, Kurt Heinisch is not really a big guy, but at least he brought some beef to the table. You know, two ninety sure. to you know three hundred pounds, and you know, I I am a little concerned about you know can this group hold up? Like if you look at Howard Cross's production this year, Vince, if you and I were to sit down and go through his best games and when we felt he played it at the highest level, most of those games were games where his reps were down a little bit. Sure. Because he can just come in and be quick and be fresh and be athletic. Yep. And, and you kind of look at it and say, okay, well, how's he going to be if his reps have to get upped? Or will they get upped? You know, will Jacob Lacey take on some more of those reps? Well, okay, he's only 275 now. You know, can he right. get back? He lost weight because he had to get his shoulder right. Does that mean he can put on 10 more pounds or 15 more pounds? That's a question mark. You know, can sure. Aiden Kiana, Anna and Gabriel Rubio, the guys that have the beef, can they step right. up? and provide more. And that's a lot of the unknowns. And the encouraging thing for me, or if I'm, if I'm Jacob Lacey or Gabriel Rubio or Aiden Kiana Anna or Alexander Ahrensberger, Nana, Will Schweitzer, anyone that's not a really proven part of the, of the rotation or not Mm -hmm. a starter, I'm almost kind of happy that there's a position change because normally when you have a position change it's kind of like okay everybody gets an an yeah. equal opportunity to impress me sure you know hey i know sure. what the film said but look this guy's out playing you right now that's all i can go on is what i'm seeing in the workouts and what i'm seeing in practice so i think in one area that's a that's a place where where one of the positive of coaching change is sometimes guys are like well you know i'm i'm at this spot and you know coach likes that guy and it may not be the case. Coaches don't always have favorites, but players think that they have favorites sometimes, right? And they, sometimes, sometimes coaches have favorites subconsciously. It's not even Absolutely. like you know. And and so now it's like, okay, look, I've got my chance to now. Go impress a new coach because sure. he's he's coming in with a blank slate. Now, look, Al Washington's going to watch the film from last year. Of course, right? he he's not going to go into the spring blind, but that's not what you tell your players. Right. I don't care about last year. And it's to a degree, it's true. I mean, you need to know what you're working with. Of course. But you don't necessarily and you need to know who's gonna be, you know, you line up with the first team on the first day of practice. But you can make that decision based off of January, February, and March leading into practice. You know, who puts in the work in the weight room and the and all these other kind of areas. And so I think it's a it's an opportunity for the 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 players who maybe weren't part of a rotation to come in there and and say and then the 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 benefit for the older players is you're getting a different voice you're getting a different a coat I mean like I don't know how much more Isaiah Foskey can learn from Mike Elston, and even more so I don't know how much more Jason Adamiola Adamiola and Justin Adamiola can learn from Mike Elston. Foskey probably a little bit more because he's you know he's kind of He's a little more raw, right? I mean, as far as it, with with technicality right. stuff, yeah. So with a new coach, however, maybe there's something Al Washington knows or saw. I mean, because again, the last couple of years, yeah, he wasn't coaching the D line, but he was coaching with every day Larry Johnson, who's considered one of the best D line coaches in college football. Sure. And you know, I mean, we could debate that, but I mean, Larry Johnson's had a lot of success over his career. So it's not like he hasn't been. Paid. I mean, he's the linebackers coach. He knows what's going on in front of him. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, of course, linebacker coaches work with D line coaches. So maybe there are some things that he can teach a guy like Jason Adamiola or Justin that Maybe that 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 wasn't on the call in the cards. You know, maybe there's something he can teach. You know, uh, Isaiah Fosky that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been there. So I think those are some of the the the, the potential positives to a coaching change. But as as we always have going into an offseason, there's always question marks. Absolutely. And the question marks are the, are the inside size. Sure. And then the fact is, is anytime you lose starters, other guys have to raise their game. Who's that going to be? You know, we can talk about, well, I think it's going to be this guy. I think it's going to be that guy. And that's fun. And we're going to talk about that. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be, I enjoy that part of the conversation. However... We don't know until we the pads come on and guys yeah, get absolutely. out there and do it, and that's what I'm looking forward to. And you know, Al Washington's got about two months to kind of get that going and, and get up to speed and get those guys you know on the field. And it's going to be, it's going to be. Um,
1: well, and and I will yeah. say
2: that when you're when you come
1: into a, a situation fresh, and you you and I have both come into jobs, you know, where where you don't know your guys and you have we both had the benefit of film from the previous year and but sometimes the guys don't even show up on film right and then you got to look at practice film and all that and there's guys that will impress you january to middle of march without any pads on right Mm -hmm. and then you put the pads on and oh okay well there's so-and-so or so-and-so isn't really who i thought that they were Mm -hmm. you know without pads like it definitely changes and you have to kind of ride that wave as a coach. And you talked about biases for coach. I, I really find that to be interesting because I, I very readily fight the biases. You have in my to, head.
2: but you don't always know it, right? I mean, no, you're
1: absolutely right. I try to like put it in the forefront of my head. Like, okay, I know I love this kid, but I've got to see what this kid can do. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it, it's, it's there and, and it's, it comes from trust and it comes from working with guys for a long time. And when you kind of have a depth chart in your head, it's hard to get those new guys involved. So when you're a new guy coming in and all of that is fresh, because it is fresh, um, it's not like Al Washington is going to have a long, involved conversation with Mike Elston about what he's leaving behind. Right. Not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, that's not (laughs) going to happen. Nor
2: necessarily should he. I mean, he needs to talk – he needs to talk to Marcus Freeman about that, you know, and he needs to a lot of coaches kind of look. I want a fresh start. I, I, yes. I want these kids to be able to show something to me. I don't want to hold something against them that. Sure. Maybe there was a conflict there that 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 it doesn't exist for me. And look, and he can pop on the film to know what's there. Of I mean, and, and it's not just game film. So, well, you know, how's he supposed there's a ton of practice film of all these other guys that have played and you know, like if, if let's just say Aiden count was on scout team all year. I'm not saying he was. I'm just making a point. Sure. You go pop in a couple weeks of Scout team film. Hey, look, let me get some because it's all it's all saved. Oh yeah. And yeah. you just pull it up. I mean, just Especially go to the computer college. and bam, yeah. pull it up. Yeah. And you can watch, hey, look, I want to watch, you know, when they were getting ready to play Oklahoma State or when they were getting ready to play Cincinnati. I want to see the film of Aiden Kahn on that week in practice. What kind of look did he give? Right. And and those are things you can always learn about players when when oh, you're no question. when and, you're having those, when you're and when, when you you're kind of trying it. to learn about your your team.
1: You're going to ask other coaches about guys. I mean, you're mm-hmm. going to get their opinion. I mean, that's that's number one, how you get to learn about your guys, but it's also number two, how you ingratiate yourself with the other members of the staff on the defensive mm-hmm. side of the ball. You know what I mean? I mean, you're mm-hmm. going to ask people's opinion, but then at the at the end of the day, you've got to make your own opinion. And, uh, and that's kind of the fun part of coming into a program fresh and new. And it's fresh and new for the coach, and it's fresh and new for the players. And mm-hmm. so there might be a guy that – you know, turns up and we don't even see it coming. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden they're a, a serious rotation player in the spring. You're like, Oh, okay, that's awesome. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the unknown for me as well, is like, mm-hmm. okay, who's gonna be that guy? Cause I anticipate that somebody is going to step up and now Washington's gonna be like, Okay, this is a dude. Let's let's see mm-hmm. what we can do with him. And uh that's always the fun of the off season and of spring practice, and especially mm-hmm. when you get a new coach in there.
2: Yeah, so and yeah. That's what we're going to learn, right? And that's part of the fun. That's part yes. of the fun of this whole thing, right? And that's part oh, of the course. fun of the off season. And that's part of just, um, you know, just as a coach, that's part of the fun too, yeah. because every team has its own dy- dynamic. Like, you know, look, we, we've talked about losing Kurt Heinrich and Meyer Tungvaloa. Well, who steps into that leadership role? From what I'm hearing, the guys, the two guys stepping into that role, and I've heard this from multiple sources, are the two Adamiolas, both of mm-hmm. them. Are stepping into leadership roles. Love it. Justin's kind of always had that to him, but from what I'm told, like late in the year, Jason actually started becoming more of a vocal voice with people, including you know, some teammates that he didn't think were necessarily completely bought in. And so, you know, you always like hearing those kind of things because you can't force leadership on players.
1: No, you can't.
2: You you, you can't. And that's when
1: leadership mm-hmm. is bad leadership. Right. When, when you're forced to do it, and that's tough.
2: Yeah. And you just don't want you, – you need it to emerge organically to really have true leadership. And, look, you lost two great leaders in Kurt Heinisch and Myron Tungvalo almost. Agreed. Up. And now you're going to have to replace them. And and, and I kind of like the idea of Jason Adamiola stepping into that because, to me, when I look at a guy like him, I'm always a fan. And Brian Kelly has talked about this. Other coaches have talked about this. And this is something that I believe Marcus Freeman's going to adopt too is – you can't force your best players to be leaders, but you always love it when your best uh, players are your leaders. No doubt. Because and that's what, like, we've talked about this. I think about a week ago we talked about this, but I remember interviewing Alex Bars, and I and I remember interviewing Robert Hainsey and asking them about this, and they're like, you know, Quentin Nelson was not only a great player, but he was such a hard worker and such a leader that you had to live up to a certain standard every day because you knew he, and, and Alex would say, yeah, Q would get on you if you weren't bringing it, but it wasn't even, you didn't even need that. It's like when our best players doing this, I have to do that. Because if he's setting that standard, I got to live up to that, right? Usually it's like, well, the best player can get away with not working as hard cuz he's a dude, right? And and people understand that it's sort of that unwritten rule of football, which I don't love, but it's a fact. It, it is what it is. But yeah. when your best players your hardest worker, or okay. has the, you know, as a guy that's going to get in your face, if you're not bringing it right, you know, boy, I better bring it today. And that's how you get better. That's how you make a good team. So if that can continue and the Adam Eolas can continue to step into that role, I think that's good for Notre Dame. Cause I don't necessarily want Isaiah Foskey stepping into that role. Cause he, from what he, you know, he's more of a quiet personality and I want him leading by example. And that's where I want Isaiah. I mean, not yeah. every, uh, not every leadership role is filled by someone who who does a lot of this, right? Jason Adamiola, by nature, is is a very strong-willed guy that'll speak his mind. When he was younger, that was a bit of a problem, right? Because you're young, you're less mature, and, and you don't always say what needs to be said or say it at the right time. As you get older, it becomes a major strength because you've evolved and learned from a guy like Kurt Heinish and Myron Tungvaloa and Dalen Hayes and Adi Takumba and guys like that of, hey, be yourself, but understand that there's a right and a wrong way to go about it, a right time and a wrong time and those type of things. And I think that's allowed Jason to step into that leadership void because he's always been a guy that had pl- – he, he has he's always been comfortable speaking his mind. Now that he's a fifth-year senior and he's more experienced and more of a veteran player, he's been through those battles. It's gonna come with a lot more, okay. Jason's talking, shut up and listen. Yeah. Because now yeah. he is the veteran guy, he is the leader of that group. And I think that's a positive. So yeah. yeah. So let's let's talk about what
1: is actually coming back that was on the roster last year and who could be, you know, the studs, the you know, let's let's go through it. So potential stars. I think are very obvious at this point, right? I think it's Jason mm-hmm. and, and I think it's Isaiah. I mean, and right. those, and we talked about it. They had a decision to make about going to the NFL or coming back to Notre Dame and they both chose to come back to Notre Dame. And, and that is, it just, it's massive for Notre Dame. It's massive for this position group. It's massive for this defense um, in, in all ways from a leadership standpoint, just like you outlined, but also from a play standpoint. And if they can up their game from a playing standpoint, I mean it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun.
2: I think to be a great D-line you need stars, right? And you need stars to play big in the biggest moments, and that is something that I liked about what Jason and Isaiah did this year. I felt like they were at their best in big games. You think of Isaiah's strip sack against Cincinnati that got Notre Dame even I mean if he doesn't have that strip sack, Cincinnati's in Notre Dame territory driving up 17 yeah. yep. nothing. That game could have got real ugly. If he doesn't make that play, you think of the, the, the uh, Fiesta Bowl where Oklahoma State's getting ready to score and it's about to put the game away. He comes up with that big strip in the open field, which allows them to have a shot to get back in it. Right. And so to me, to be an elite D line, you need stars. And for Jason and Isaiah, they both were really good this year. I don't think they were stars. You know, um, that's kind of my thing. They were is, steady.
1: They, I mean, yeah. they were steady. They were, they were talented. They were. good. Well, they were.
2: They were more than steady. I mean, they flashed well, big time. Yeah, right.
1: But, but you have to do more than flash to be a star, right? I mean, I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb on that one. But they, I mean, they were guys that you could count on in a very positive way, and at times they were dudes. Uh, but in order to be a star, I think you need to be a dude more often than they were last year. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. Yeah. You know, there's, there's an area for them to raise their game. Right. To, to see, make them. Stars. Because to
2: me, I don't think they were steady. And I think that's the okay. point. Okay. It, it's not, I don't want just the, wow, you were great here, but you're great more often. Right. But also your lows are higher. Like, I don't want steady. I want dynamic. Right. That's what I'm getting at. And, and. I think there's a level for both of them to raise their games, is my point. And and, and I think that's what they need to do. Isaiah was a really good player last year. Was he he an elite player? I don't think he was. Jason was a really good player last year. Was he an elite player? I don't think he was. If they were elite players, they wouldn't be coming back. If Isaiah was an elite player that had maximized his potential, he's not coming back. No, that's a good point. Same with Jason. So I do think there's another level for them to take their games, and that's what they have to be hungry about is – is, okay, yeah, I was really good last year, but I I, I didn't get the feedback I wanted from the NFL. Have that little bit of chip on your shoulder. People think Aiden Hutchins is better than me. I'm going to show you, right? Like, I'm not trying to say he's better than Aiden Hutchins. I'm just, like, that's the mindset that a guy like that has to have, that elite player or a guy that thinks he can be an elite player needs to be able to go out and say, hey, I got this, right? Like, no one's blocking me this year, ever. And and Jason needs to adopt that mentality. Isaiah needs to adopt that mentality, and both improve their game. For Isaiah, that's that's enhancing his pass rushing repertoire and continuing to build on the late season run game success he had because he became a better run defender sure. later in the year, second that half. That was of the something year. we talked about going into the right. year. He's he got to get better at that. Yeah. Jason has to start making more plays on the ball. Super yes. disruptive, hard to block, but doesn't have the production to back up how dominant he is. You know, and that's the thing about it is he needs to be more just, I'm going to dominate, right? And, and domination can't just mean being disruptive and forcing early cuts, but getting his hands on running backs, on quarterbacks. There's no reason Jason Adamiolo shouldn't be 10 plus tackles for loss next year. You know, he was at seven this year. There's no reason he shouldn't be over five, six sacks next year. He was at three this year. Those are the things that, that, that yeah. we need to kind of get into.
1: And I think... You know, I, I'll piggyback off of that about Jason. I think the whole defensive – I think the defensive line as a whole needs to do a better job at finishing around the football. There, there, right. there were a lot of opportunities that were missed in the backfield this year that could have changed the tides of, of many drives and then, therefore, many games. I, I think that's an overarching problem for this defensive line. And I, mm-hmm. I, problem is a heavy word, okay, but it's definitely an area that as a group – that they can walk they can work on and, and you're right from from a Jason standpoint I agree with you it seemed like he was being disruptive in the backfield all the time but I just he just did not get his hands on guys mm-hmm. enough I, I'm with you 100% on that but too many times we saw and and you could talk about the linebackers as well just were not making plays in the backfield when there were plays to be made right and, I, and
2: that's I, what I, we saw you know against North Carolina it's what yeah. we saw against Florida state on some of those big places. What we saw in the the fiesta bowl, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that those are going to be areas where they're going to have to get better. And your two dudes have to be that those guys to step up and make those plays, Right. And that, that's going to be the key. You know, you force more teams to double team, you force more teams to do those kind of things. Right. And then the thing I'm curious about, and I wanted to kind of get into this, I wanted to bring up a super chat to kind of get into it is, is how are they going to be used? Yeah. That's something I'm curious about, Jim Halloran, with a super chat. Thank Jim. He says my biggest concern is, uh, will Marcus Freeman insist on playing three down when four down is your strength with the depth? Your thoughts, please. That's a, a great a great question, Jim. And that's where I'm curious to see who he hires as defensive coordinator. Now, Al Washington comes from a predominantly four down right. background. When him and Marcus Freeman coached together in 2017, that was still in Cincinnati when they were still a four down team. So I look at it and I say, you know, when you look at what you have on the roster and you look at what you have coming in, Keon Keeley, those are more four down edge players. Can you adapt your defense enough to be more four down? And if you're going to use eyes, and this is what I said all year, I'm okay dropping Isaiah Foskey off the ball and moving him around. There's a lot of value to that, but insert him, you know, trigger him. Don't, I don't mind him dropping into coverage every now and then. I mean, sure. Let's let's not forget in 2015, the last year the Broncos won a Super Bowl, Von Miller was ha, had a brilliant season. Him and Demarcus Ware. Were, I mean, I'm a Broncos fan, so I'm a little biased, but they were brilliant that year. I mean, no, D- Denver won the Super Bowl because of their defense. The biggest play Von Miller made in the playoff, the playoffs that that year that got him into the Super Bowl was intercepting Tom Brady. He dropped into coverage. Brady wasn't expecting it. He throws the ball, Von picks him off and sets up a score, right? So there's merit to occasionally having him drop into coverage. Not as much as he did though. That's my thing is look, put that kid on the edge and let him go. And then if you're going to move him around, move him around to to trigger him and give teams different looks and different things to to worry about. That's what I want to see and and to me, Jim, I think I think your 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 question is legitimate is how much? How do they adapt? Because like that's the thing is Marcus Freeman brought his defense this sure. year, right? And to a degree, next year it's going to still be his defense. But he now knows a lot more about his players did now than he did a year ago when he got here. He knows what Foskey can do. Foskey was still a bit of a question mark. And what a lot of people don't know is Isaiah Foskey didn't have a very good spring or fall camp, according to sources. He didn't. He's just he's one of those guys just not a practice yeah. guy. Yeah, you know I some guys are like that.
1: Camp and I was like.
2: Yeah, this is but then the the, 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 yeah. the, the games step up, and, yeah. and he's that dude. Yes. So, you, you know, you now have a body of work of who he is when he's on Saturdays, and that's what matters more. So how do they adjust that? How do they adapt to that? Those are things we're going to know, but there's also things where there's merit to having Jason Adamiola as a five technique, which is more of what you're going to get out of three down. So that's why I say there's merit to moving him around just – making sure that you're doing it more to bring him. And then when you do drop into coverage, I'd actually rather them drop him into coverage from a down, like from a from a four down alignment like they did before. That creates a little bit more of an element of surprise, in my opinion. So th- 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 those are some of the questions I have, Vince, when I look at these two potential stars is, sure part of this also is the coaches have to find ways to build around them a little bit more than they did last year. And I think that's something that's needed from the new defensive coordinator and Marcus Freeman is, okay, what are your plans to now – you you've, you've got your two potential stars. What are you going to do to try to get them to, to be in more positions to make plays? It's not just about them needing to step up and play better. They do. It's also about you as a coach saying, hey, here's how we're going to use our guys because this is our dude and we need to use him – that way. Those are the things that, that I think are really important to this whole thing. Oh, absolutely. And I use is the big
1: one because again, that's a question mark based on the new position coach and the relationship that Marcus Freeman is going to have with the new defensive coordinator. And I mean, all of that. So I think, I think usage is a huge question mark for me and that's not one that we're going to get answered for a while. I, I don't even know. We might get a little bit of an answer in the spring,
2: um but it won't be a I think full we'll, I I think we'll start to see like how they're used and sure. we'll see things from you know the new drills and new techniques and things like that that they're doing. Sure. So yeah, good point. So let's talk about some of these other guys because there are some spots that obviously,
1: you know, need to be filled as mm-hmm. well and and they can be filled with veterans. Yeah. And I, and I think that that is Again, it's going to be a blank slate for a lot of these guys, but you still need the veterans to step up. They've been in college football. They've been at Notre Dame for longer. You'd like to see them step up. So let's talk about some of this veteran depth. Obviously, you mentioned Justin Adamiola. He's going to be one guy. Howard Cross, Jacob Lacey, all these guys bring veteran depth. How
2: are they? Well, you know, what are they going to bring to the table moving forward? I think they all have to up their game. I mean, I think that's a big thing for me is they all got up their game. You know, when you look at Justin Adamiola, kid finished second on the team in sacks last year. There's room for him to get better. There are some opportunities he missed. His motor is just unreal. I mean, that's the thing I love about that kid. Is he he plays? You know, the expression like you know he plays with his hair on fire. Like that's how Jason plays. Like he is. No doubt. He is just. A, I mean, he is. You know, going as fast as he can and as hard as he can, and he's got great hand play, hand technique. Now that he's kind of been a regular i mean he was more of a regular last year than he was the year before i mean he he played a lot the year before but it was kind of like as a you know fourth fifth end this year it was more of a true rotation guy you know and and you know he was their third end really and he was a starter in the nickel package a lot of times and so there's another level to me for him to get to especially on third down you know where he needs to be a play a key role in that contain issues that they had at times on third down and and continuing to to really enhance his game from a run defense standpoint. I think he was good at it when he got his chance. You know, Maybe make some more plays on the ball, that kind of thing. And then the other two are, are Howard Cross and Jacob Lacey. These are very important pieces to this puzzle. The first question I have is, where are they going to play? I don't know how great I feel about Howard Cross being a full-time nose tackle. That was something Mike Elson was really big yeah. into, and – I, I don't know how much I love that. I, I don't know how much I love the notion of Howard cross getting 40 snaps a game as a nose tackle. I I, I don't love that idea. I, I kind of feel like using him at both spots, using Jacob Lacey at both spots. I mean, there's times where I would consider bumping Jason Adam mule out to the big end position. And then, you know, having Howard cross as your three technique or Jacob Lacey as your three technique. So I, I, I'm curious to see how those guys are used. I think the usage thing is going to be a big thing for me now that you're going into year two of Marcus Freeman's defense. And and that's something you, you need, we need to learn. But then how how much do those guys develop their games? And that's especially true of I mean, I talked about how Justin needs to continue to get better. That's just more of a, well, everybody needs to get better kind of way. Sure. Right? And there's yeah, room right. for him to improve. Of course. Howard Cross and Jacob Lacey need to be more productive on the ball big time. And they both had some really disruptive moments. I mean, Jacob had a huge fourth down stop against Wisconsin. Howard had some moments. But if they're going to be now sort of sliding into that Kurt Heinisch role, they got to be more productive. And, and can they be that? And, I wanna, again, production, I'm talking actual production, not disruption. Production is making plays on the ball, right? And those are the things that I need to see, getting your hands on running backs, on quarterbacks. Yep. Those are things that we need to see, and they're they're stepping into to bigger roles this year, and and they've got to play better. Because look, not everybody, and this is one of the question marks. Not everybody steps into a a bigger role, and all of a sudden is able to project what they did on a limited role into a bigger role.
1: Right. You can't just some guys' game by, gets
2: worse yeah. when yeah. they play more. They're better as fifteen snap guys. That's the reality. I don't, I'm not saying they're gonna be that, but until they prove otherwise, that's a legitimate question mark. So we need to see them get better. And to me, the guy that could be the big key to this whole thing of this group is Jacob Lacey. He was really good as a freshman and then just was super banged up in 2020. Was kind of coming back from an injury this year, got yeah. rolled up a little bit on in the middle of the season. Can he kind of tap back into that that sure? Player that we thought he could be, and he flashed as a freshman. That's a legitimate question because if he can, he, that changes some things. Because to me, if Jacob Lacey can add, you know, put maybe 10, 12, 15 pounds back on, I was on, gonna say that I think he needs and, to add a little bit of weight,
1: but he needs well, to he be, had
2: he had to, it's right. got to be good weight. He so had I'm bad saying. weight on in as a freshman and sophomore. Sure. He got a little too thin this year because he had to to get the shoulder right. Well, you're now like a year removed from that. I sold surgery, I believe. I believe he had it before the spring, didn't he? He didn't play in the spring last year, did no, he? No, I don't believe he did. And, and so... Because there was still know, talk about him not being ready to go and fall camp, I That's remember. right. So. But that, I couldn't, I didn't remember if that was because he had a late surgery yeah. or I can't remember the timing yeah. of that. I'll have to look it up here next time I get a chance to, to, to get on the internet here. But to me, Jacob Lacey has the potential to be a... a, a starter and a really good starter if he can kind of find that happy medium between where his body was as a freshman and sophomore and where his body was as a junior because he actually still has multiple two two more years of eligibility left after this year I believe because of the 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 COVID year and so he normally because he would he would otherwise be going into his final year Correct. If it wasn't for the COVID year, because he played as a freshman. Well, now he's got multiple years of eligibility left.
1: Well, did he get a medical? Does he get a
2: medical? You can't get a medical. I don't think you can get a medical and a COVID the same year. Oh, I got that's why Jack Cohn doesn't have another year. That makes sense. So um, because he played and he but he didn't take a medical in 2019. He still played in 2020. Excuse me he still played a lot that year. He, okay. he didn't, he, so, I mean, he would have otherwise used a year of eligibility on a, for a bad team. Gotcha. And, and so those are, those are the things that, um, that I'm curious to kind of see. And, you know, so, you know, when, when I, when I look at it, he's just a guy that I'm, I just, I'm, I'm not predicting anything. Cause He's been so banged up the last two years, it's really hard. I don't know what his body's going to look like. I'm just saying, like, that's a guy that I have my eye on as when we talk about somebody just kind of comes out of nowhere or breaks out and has a big year that you weren't expecting. It happens every year. Is he going to be one of those guys on defense? That's what I'm curious to see because he his, his talent is there. I mean, the talent is there. Jacob was a big-time recruit coming out of high school. And he impressed me as a freshman. Yeah, it's just can he get back to being that guy? You ne- when it comes to shoulder injuries, you just never know. Some guys sure. just the shoulders never heal. But if Jacob Lacey can kind of find that happy medium with his body, get his game back to work. Because here's the other thing: he wasn't as strong in 2021 as he would have been because he missed so much time that offseason because sure. of the shoulder. I mean, that you're not a difference when you're, you're not power cleaning, you're not benching, you're not doing all the different things to to build up your upper body strength and your power when you miss that much time with a shoulder injury. And then when you can start lifting weights, it's going to take you a little while to get back to full speed. So we should see it. That should also lead to Jacob being able to make a jump this year. So I've really got my eye on Jacob Lacey as a guy that if he can be what I think he can be, he changes some things. Because if he takes hold of that nose tackle role, let's just say hypothetically that Jacob does what we think he can be. Gets up to 285, 290 healthy and just can be that really good nose tackle in this defense that makes Howard cross better because now Howard doesn't have to step into that role. And I think he's better as a rotation guy, as a swing guy. I think it makes him better too. And so that's why I think Jacob Lacey stepping in and like really seizing hold of that nose tackles position could really be a game changer when you talk about the, the, the complexion of this defensive line going into next season.
1: So, one of the mace, massive spots that Notre Dame has to fill, right, is at the big end. And, you know, we, we, we talked about the, you know, graduation and, and, and losing Myron and all of that. And, you know, we've heard that that Riley Mills is going to step over to the big end position. But that, I don't know that there's really any one guy that you're like, yep, there's the starter at big end. I think it's pretty wide open. What do you think?
2: I think it's going to be Riley. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I disagree with that a little bit. I, I think okay. they moved Riley with the thought of, we think I mean, he can be a dude there. Okay. Yeah. And, and he looked really good there when he played that position against Virginia, he just looked more natural. Cause remember he was more of a big end coming out of high school and he was kind of a three down, a three down defense kind of guy. And, um, you know, and, and I think he just, is, he is just to me a little bit more comfortable there. His body type fits there. Um, He's he's just a guy that I think could be a really good player there in this particular defense. So I think it's Riley's job to lose. The question isn't, will he be the guy? The question is, how good can he be? Right. Absolutely. And and that's the bigger question mark, because, you know, yeah. one of the things I talked about in, in the article I wrote yesterday, Vince, when I talked about Coach Freeman, Coach, uh, excuse me, Washington, Stepping as the situation is is as good as the defensive line was last year. The big end wasn't a super productive position. Myron Tungaveloa Mosa only had five tackles for loss and two sacks. The entire position group only had eight eight and a half tackles for loss and five sacks for the whole season. And you know, to me, uh, you know, I look at it and I say, um, I just. I think he's got a chance to be a guy that could have that production there by itself, by himself. Like, that's the, that's how good I think Riley Mills can be. Okay, you know, He had three sacks this year. That was more sacks as a sophomore than Jerry Tillery had, more than Jason Adamiola had, more than Kurt Heinish had, more than Sheldon Day had. I mean, his production, despite playing a lot fewer snaps than those guys as a sophomore, you know, was was disruptive production. He had 300, uh, three sacks and played less than 200 snaps. You know, and so or 200 pass snaps, excuse me. Right. And and so I just feel like he's a guy that, when I think of breakout players, he's there. Because the way I look at it is, they could keep him inside, and have him be part of a rotation with Jason Adamuola and the other guys. But I feel like that's not you getting your best guys on the field. You've got to find ways to get Jason and Riley on the field together. That's what you have to do.
1: One well, and, and Riley is so long, like mm-hmm. he's just like abnormally long. Yeah. And I like having that on the outside. Look, it can work on the inside too. Don't get me wrong, but I do like his frame on the outside. I mean, he he's mm-hmm. listed at six, five and an eighth, and 283 pounds. I mean, that's, that's a big end right there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's the size and that's the body type that you'd like to see out there at big end. So I think this is a, a move and a gamble that's going to pay off for Notre Dame. I, I like Riley Mills on the outside. I think he's athletic enough to be out there. Uh, for what
2: they do, yes. For what they
1: do. That's exactly right. And and I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
2: Because the big end position in this defense is not a traditional end. It's not a line up two yards outside and just, you know, turn it a 45-degree angle and just come. It's not that kind of position. It's a – You've got to be physical. You've got to set the edge. You're the field end. You're always going to be to the wide side of the field, which means if you're not great at setting the edge against the run, teams are going to be running off tackle and at you and around you all game. You cannot have that. You have to be a great – if you're a great pass rusher but not a good run defender at big end, then you can only be a third down guy because teams – you'll never get to third down if you're in there in first and second down. The teams are going to be running on you the whole game. And so that's such an important part of this position. And, and so that's, you've, it's, it's a power position. And that's the thing is like, when you think of Riley Mills, you don't necessarily think, Oh, defensive end. That's why they, you know, kind of moved him inside. So I just think, I just think that is something that that's a move. They've got to make, in my opinion, we're hearing they're going to make it. But when we heard they were going to make it, that was before Elson was leaving Right. And so, sure. But I, I just have to think that when you look at it, that they're going to, cause I don't think they want to go into the season with, with Alexander and and Nana as your two proven big ends. But I do think those two guys as part of a rotation could be really good. And that's, that's the, that's the key component to this whole thing is, you know, look, if Riley Mills is the starter, now you're putting Alexander Ehrensberger into more of a rotation role. I'm starting to get a little fired up about the big end position because he's another guy that to me flashed this year at times. I mean, I've talked about the play out against Cincinnati, but there's been some other times where he's a big athletic kid. He's just still learning how to play football. Like to me, if I'm out Washington, if I'm, if I'm advising out Washington, I'm sitting him down and I'm saying, okay, you got, you got four, ma- five major priorities. Okay. We've talked about some of them. One, teach Isaiah Foskey some counter moves in the past game because he had uh, like 11 sacks last year and he really didn't have any counter moves. He just, he's just so quick and so big. And his hand play, he just, I mean, he could just take you with one hand. I mean, what was it? Was it USC where he, he comes off? He takes the tackle with his left hand. He shoves the tackle off of his body, drives him into the quarterback with one hand, takes his right hand and strips the ball. That's just, God bless you, right? Like, that's one of those <laughs> things. That's not like a, that's oh, a high what school great move. coaching. I mean, it's a high school thing. No, I mean, it's, it's it's a great I mean, NFL move to me. Well, but, that, it's, it's, but it's, it's, it's one not you can't teach everyone. There you go. That's, that's, that's what, what I'm saying. I mean.
1: It's, it's natural, and it's like. It's like, like yeah.
2: I'm not teaching God. my number two guy that, because right. he's not strong enough to do that and then strip. That's just, that's why you're going to be a first-round pick next year if you can enhance your game. And so to me, when I look at Isaiah, that that's number, make him a star, teach him some counter moves. Number two, get, find a way to make just Jason Adamiola more productive on the ball. Big, big responsibility. Number three is get Jacob Lacey rolling. To me, that's a big one. Number four uh, is, is you've got these two kids at end, Riley Mills and Alexander Ehrensberger that have potential as a combination to be really good. They need to be your pet projects. They need to be your top pet project. Like these other things are things you got to improve upon, but these are sort of that pet project guy. Like any extra attention I have is going to them. Whoever my D-line GA is, you're spending time with them. We've got to get those two guys going because, A, the big end position is very important in this defense, and number two – if these kids kind of start tapping into their full potential, you're gonna have like you mentioned Riley Mills being so long, right? He's two inches shorter and has shorter arms than Alexander Ahrensberger. It's crazy, right? I mean, that that's yeah. insane length. Yeah. And and you put those two big boys out there, you know, man, you, yeah. you've got a chance to do something there. And that's the thing that I'm that I'm really like really interested to see is can he get those two guys going? And then Nana, if you know those two, then Nana can just kind of be that, you know, niche guy that's maybe a, a run defender, you know, rotation guy kind of player. Because, but if you can get those two Mills and Allen's uh, and Aaron's going, that's the that that and Lacey, like you talk about the keys to this defense being elite. It's Jacob Lacey, in my opinion, and it's those two kids and my it, it are, are two of the the, th- the three keys to this thing really coming out. And then the th- the third key Vince is you got two big young guys. One of them has to force himself onto the field. And I'm talking Aiden Counter on and Gabriel Rubio. Gabriel Rubio. You don't yeah. need both of them per se, it be but it's even better if both of them do. But you but, need at least one of them to step up and say, "Hey, you know, Gabriel Rubio was 290 as a freshman. Aiden's over 300 pounds." Yeah, he's 310. You talk about the lack of beef. Those two guys don't lack beef, especially Aiden. Right. That and that—that's my fifth one, from Kurt Washington. Figure, find a big guy, yeah, right. Develop a big guy. You've got two of them. Get them ready, and yeah. if both of them can get ready, now that's where this D line becomes elite. Is you've got this long, long depth, yeah, right, bam. And so that's that's kind of where it, it, that's where it needs to be, in my opinion.
1: because we we've, we've talked about we've talked about depth a million oh yeah. times and how key that is to having a, a, an elite defensive line and right. with with two guys that have been a mainstay in your starting lineup moving on you know to graduation and all that what now you have to develop more depth right, right? i mean and that depth I mean, it's cyclical, right? The depth that you had needs to move up and be more productive from a starting role or or from an enhanced role. And then your guys that were not really contributing need to be depth guys. Mm -hmm. They need to continue that cycle. And those young guys that you just mentioned, I I, look, man, I'm unabashedly a huge Gabriel Rubio fan. I Mm -hmm. mean, I, I, I love, love, love what he brings to the table. I would have loved to see him a little bit more this past year. I know he, he was dealing with an injury too, wasn't he? Off yes. Off my head, yeah. Yes. So, you know, it's totally understandable. So you want to get him back healthy 100%, obviously. But, man, I think he adds even more depth. Like, he, he's more than right. just a depth player. He has the ability to be more than just a depth player. Yeah. And he has the size coming in. And, and like you said, he was, what, 290? Yeah. Uh, adding 10 pounds of good weight on his frame – which is already a good frame. I mean, he he's listed at what six five and a quarter, two ninety. You mm-hmm. can add 10 pounds to that and make it good weight, right? Right. Um, and and now you're you're long and athletic inside too. And and there's a little bit of your beef. So uh, and then obviously Aiden Keanaana was three ten, and you, you know, he'll be mm-hmm. just fine as well. So you're right. If those guys can step up and if they can add more to the depth and become more than just depth guys that's when this defensive line takes a right. step in the, in, in, a, in a really elite direction.
2: Right. And and the funny thing is we're talking about Aiden Anna, and Gabe Rubio needing to force their way out of the field cuz there's not an open path. There's not just like a well these guys are gone. Here it is it, cuz there still is Jason sure. Adamiola. and there you know you could keep Riley Mills inside. You can you still have Jacob Lacey. you still have Howard Cross. I mean there's still guys there. You, we to me, Jason Onye is a guy that, that could maybe slide inside. He was 285 as a true freshman at defensive end. Sure. He's going to outgrow that position. in a And in, like, he probably already has. Right, We just Absolutely. don't know it officially yet. Right. 6'5", 289 as right. a freshman. Five yeah. years ago, right, <laughs> when this whole turnover started in 2017, those guys were playing as freshmen, would have Absolutely. played as freshmen because of where the depth was. So it's come a long way. But now you've got really good players in your depth. But do you have difference makers in your depth? That's a bigger question. That's what we don't know yet. Can Gabriel Rubio play? He was a top 100 recruit. Can he play to that level? That remains to be seen. He's going to be healthier now. They need him to step up and kind of say, hey, this kid's too good not to play. They need Aiden Kanaana to say, coach, if you don't find a way to get me 10, 15 snaps a game, man, then you're not doing this coaching thing right. (laughs) Like, not saying that, but saying that with his play, Yeah. right? because that makes them a better team. Number one, I think they would love to have a three-deep rotation in in most games. And what I mean by that is your rotation can look different against Marshall and Skin Cow than it will against Ohio State-Clemson, meaning you can have a 10-to-12-man rotation in those other games because those kids can play, they can help you. It's a chance to get them 8-to-10-to-12 snaps a game but you may not be comfortable playing them against Ohio State. You may not be comfortable playing them against Clemson, right? So they've got to force their way into that first rotation. Sure. Then if they can make plays in those games, then it sets them up to say, hey, now you need to play me against BYU. Now you need to play me because that's going to be grown man football. I mean, literally, BYU plays a bunch of mid to late 20-year-old guy, you know, year old guys. Yeah, you know they, they may not have the athleticism of other teams, but they're going to be a physical football team because they're literally grown men. In a lot exactly. of instances, then you you play me against Clemson, play me against USC, play me against Stanford. They've got to earn those reps in practice. Then they got to earn those reps when they get on the field against the Marshals and the Cows and the teams like that. And, and so, to me, that's that's that next step for them. That's that yeah. next step for Notre Dame. Uh, to get to and say, hey, when you can do this, you know now you're now you now you got something going. If they can if they can get to the point where those guys have to play, that's gonna that's where Notre Dame really finally takes that big time step because you can because like if Jacob Lacey does what I think he can and Gabe Arubia Aiden Count on to do that, then then Jacob is even be, is even better than that because. You can still keep his reps down. Yeah, exactly. Right, because you've got Gabriel and Aiden playing there. And I think that helps you with Howard Cross because if if Gabriel and Aiden both step up, I think Gabriel's more natural. I don't think he wants to hear this, but his more natural position is nose tackle in this defense because he is a big, strong physical kid that can also be disruptive. Aiden obviously is a nose tackle. If both of those guys force their way into the rotation, now Howard Cross bumps out to three technique, that makes him better because he's not a natural nose, nose. He's able to get it done, but that's not his natural position. He was a defensive end in high school. He's two hundred and seventy-five yeah. pounds. He's six-one and a half. Right. If you can start playing him a three technique, because you're comfortable with what you have at nose and Lacy, Aiden and Gabriel Rubio. You, you know what I mean? So like, but all the whole thing about all of this, Vince, is and we'll talk about the freshman here in a second. The whole thing about all of this is these are a lot of ifs. If Jacob Lacey is this, if sure. Aiden is this, if Riley Mills breaks out, if Alexander Ernst breaks out, if Gabriel Rubio breaks out, if Aiden breaks out, those are a lot of ifs. Sure. And and I always get a little, you know, I mean, I can't just, this is going to be a great D-line. I know it. Because why? Because all the ifs are going to work out. Right? That that's a, that's like that a fan, happens, that's fan talk, honest. right? Like yeah, that's, that, if I want to do like a fan show where it's like, everything is awesome, you know, that's when you do that. Right. And yes, right. I have seen the Lego movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, those, the more of those ifs that turn into, yep. The better this team is going to be. And, and that's where you kind of get into. Here's a, here's a question for you. Uh-oh. How, wh- what's the Harry stand
1: effect on the defensive line? Interesting. That's interesting. So you're talking about when the offense is going up against the defense and forcing even, the, be even the backup offensive line, even, yeah. the, even the scout team offensive line. Because it, It's funny because in fall practice, when we were watching, it was, man, this defensive line is really, really good. Wait a second. Maybe the offensive line isn't as good as we think it is, right? Well, if the defensive line is dominating moving forward next fall, let's say, so i I'll get I'm not saying I give a pass to the spring but if they're dominating in the fall then they're dominating in the fall you know right. what I mean because this offensive line is going to be coached in a completely different way and and there was a, a comment in there and I think I started it but I'm not 100% sure about the fact that they that they need to think about moving some offensive linemen over to defensive line and how Billy Shrouth and Rocco Spindler need to be on the defensive line because they're so aggressive
2: and no, how, Billy Shrouth does not need to be on and, the defense. And how
1: line. Rocco didn't play because Jeff Quinn was trying to knock the aggressiveness out of him before he was going to play offense. That's exactly what I don't want. I, the, right? Th- th- those guys will thrive if that's if let's 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 say that all of that is true. Okay, that those guys are so aggressive, blah blah blah. They'll thrive in a Harry Heastan right. offensive line. And there's plenty of guy. There's not a bunch of holes over there on the defensive line where you need to start moving offensive linemen over there. Mm-hmm. So that's how I would address that particular comment. That's not what they need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And they will do so well in the hair. He stands offensive line. Right. If they're going to be aggressive like that. So,
2: it, well, and then like to me, I don't think those guys, like, I think a lot of times when when you don't see, like, I, I don't understand why we're talking about moving an offensive lineman over there because there's guys there that haven't played that you need to use, right? There are guys exactly. on your roster, Aiden Kanaana, Gabriel Rubio. I'm sorry, Rocco Spindler's not a better D-line prospect than Gabriel Rubio. Now, if there's some injuries, maybe you have that conversation, but right now I'm trying to get those guys ready to play offensive line. Right, They need to develop the guys they have. Develop Jason Onye, develop Gabriel Rubio, develop Aiden Kata'ana. I don't want to take reps away from those guys to give them the offensive linemen because you think they may be able to help you. Right, Get those guys ready. And here's the other thing. Aiden Kata'ana weighs more than both of those guys. He's bigger than both of those guys. So uh, that's who I'm coaching up. I'm not getting those guys ready. Yeah. Where I'm talking about the Harry Heastan effect is just having to go against a, a, a physical, yes, tough fundamentally sound Harry he stand coached offensive line mike Elko talked about it in 2017 we've we've seen coaches talk about it in the past like going against that line every day made us so much better because by the time you got to saturday i was like these guys are nothing Do you know exactly. we've been having to go against every day this week in practice so i think i think that's something that i'm curious to hear about sure. too is is you know how does that impact um how does that impact play the defensive line? Cause you are going to be going to go up against a much better coached unit because, you know, like, like we talked about, like the D line just destroyed the offensive line and you're like, is it, are they that good? Or is the offensive line that bad? And then you kind of realize it's a little bit of both. You know, but like it was sure. too easy at times in the spring. I mean, sometimes the line, like we're watching and we're watching the first team offensive line in practice. Sometimes Vince and you're seeing it live. You're showing me clips, and then I'm seeing it on the highlights. And it's like, was that like a was that supposed to be like a screen? Because like everybody <laughs> came through. You're like, no, that was inside zone. You're like, yeah, that ain't good. That ain't good. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> that's that's bad. And it just was like constantly. And you know I talked to sources like man like the D-line is just killing just killing the offensive line. And if this you know was 5 mean?
1: years ago, then I'd be like, wow, defensive line's playing really really well. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and there was a bit of a hangover to that for a while. But then last year it was just like, oh man, I this is this could be bad. Right. <laughs> and and it was honestly it, and it was. ended up it ended up being that. I mean, it was in right. the shades of what was to come. So It's not good. But yeah, I think that's a really good point, Brian. And I'm hoping that that comes to
2: fruition even in the spring, uh, but as well
1: as the fall and moving forward.
2: And then the final piece for me is the freshmen. What impact do the freshmen have? Because the nice thing about the freshmen this year is that they are, they are on campus. They're early enrollees. I think that's that's a big thing. I think it's nice to have, you know, it's nice to have those guys on campus that, are you know i mean early enrollees because they get that whole i mean that the biggest thing for me is i mean the coaching is nice and all that kind of stuff it's nice to get good coaching but the bigger thing for me Vince, and you know where i'm going with this the bigger thing for me is i just i want to see them be in the weight room for five months like when i think of tyson ford and Aiden Gabera, getting right. a five to six month head start in the Matt Bayless strength program. I start getting kind of like, <laughs> this is going to be <laughs> fun to watch, you know? Cause like, especially Ford. Cause like Tyson's got that, he's got that big baby body. Right. Right. Like he's got that body where he's just broad shoulders and big, but he's kind of got like a, there's nothing like, on it. He's like, a giant human yeah. being. And, and like, he's a giant little kid is yeah. what, well, you know what I mean? Like he's got some, he's got the baby know, face. There's not a he's lot got, of definition. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you exactly. get him, at, but right. Some guys are just like that. Right. Once once they kind of stop growing and then get into a college weight room, college nutrition program, because I don't think people understand how expensive it is for parents to feed their children the way <laughs> that the college football team feeds their children. <laughs> it is expensive. Yeah. And and so and you think you're feeding them that way until, you, you know, you, they get there and you realize, like, wow, they're doing something completely different. And so to me, I'm excited to see what they do with. Because they're going to struggle in the spring, most likely. I mean, that's kind of what freshmen do in the spring. Not to they, be expected, right? And but you know, starts you see those flashes, right? You get that time in the weight room. So then, by the time they get to July, when the rest of the freshmen show up, they're seven months in, like that kind of like okay. And because I'm looking at all these guys, like Nana and Ahrensberger and Mills and Cro- and I'm like, <clears throat> y'all better be ready to bring it, because. Don't give Tyson Ford that open window. Don't give Aiden Gobera, Gobera that open window. Don't give them that, okay, you didn't want to practice today or whatever the case may be. You know, look, you you want to you want to give that. And, and if I'm Notre Dame, I'm not playing Jason Adamuel a ton during the spring. Right. I'm not playing Isaiah Foskey a ton during the spring. I'm going to spend a mess of time with them an individual. But when we get the team, I want to see what get Aiden can do. I want to see what Will Schweitzer can do. Sure, I want to see what what Aaronsberger and Rubio. I want to see what those guys can do. I don't need to see what Foskey can do in team. I'm going to work with him in individual, one on one pass rushes where we can really work on his repertoire. That's the only time I care about with Foskey. When I get into team stuff, I maybe give him some snaps just to keep him fresh. But I want to see what Will Schweitzer, how much Will Schweitzer has developed. Right. I want to see if I want to get Aiden Gobira reps. I want to get Tyson Ford reps. Those are the things for me, if I'm out of Washington, I'm going to want to do this spring is really see what those young guys can do. Absolutely. And, you know, if if they can step up and play. Like So the point is, there's just so much talent on this defensive line. And it's deep talent. But it's a lot of ifs. There's a lot of ifs and and when you when you have those ifs it's hard to get too fired up about them being elite until those questions start finding answers and that's what the spring is going to really be about Vince is which one of these long list of ifs yeah. turn into yeses You're right and or have arrives and those those type of things and that's what i'm looking forward to finding so and you, I think you got to go, Vince, but I'm going to continue. I got some questions that I yeah, want to get to. Yeah, there's some good ones, actually, some, in and there. And some, uh, some, some other things. So we're going to keep really on. going. Vince, we'll talk to you tomorrow, awesome. man. All right. See you, everybody. So I'm going to roll through a few questions that we pulled up, and we do have a super chat that I'll get to last. And uh, Blaine, Blaine Tiller said, Someone brought this up on the board but wanted to see But wanted to see if you might touch on it here. Can you explain the two gap and single gap on defense and how Washington and Freeman might use it with the line? So I'm gonna. I, this is I'm I'm writing this down as a football 101 because I want to get back to those. Part of the reason that I wanted to hire recruiting people and once they get rolling, it's going to be really good, is because it allows me to start spending some more time on some of the other things that I want to do. Football 101s being one. I am working on a video now that's going to be on the message board only. That's going to kind of dive into the film of Chancy Stuckey's receivers, but this is a football one-on-one that I want to do, and that is explaining the two-gap versus one-gap play. So this is a really, really good question. But in short, essentially, in a two-gap defense, your defensive linemen are responsible for two gaps. It's what Notre Dame did under Bob Diaco, and essentially, you a lot of times will play more heavy techniques, which means like more head ups or more like a really strong shade, meaning you're 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 tighter into the shoulder. And essentially, so like if I'm a nose tackle, I'm coming off, I'm engaging with the center and I am responsible for the A gaps on both sides. So I've got to be able to like power into those gaps. So if I see the run coming here, I got to be able to block, destruct and get into that hole. If I got run coming over here, I got to block, destruct and get, destruct, and get to that hole. You don't see as much penetration because if I'm shooting in that gap, if I shoot the A gap weak. And the play goes a gap strong. I'm responsible for that, but I'm not there, and and so that's why it's a lot more read and react is one way to say it. But just like really coming off strong and engaging as opposed to penetrating, one gap is essentially that you have responsibility for one gap. So you know if I'm the nose tackling and four down defense, and I've got the if I've got the the weak side a gap. Then somebody's accounting for the the weak, the strong side A gap. It's a linebacker, it maybe a three technique if he's slanting those kind of things. But that's the that's how it works. Is I, I have one gap that's more penetrating, that's more kind of shooting into that gap, trying to get that offensive lineman to turn his shoulders so I can really be disruptive into that gap. But I've got to maintain the integrity of that. I got to maintain integrity of that gap all the way through the play. And what was happening last year is Notre Dame's linemen were kind of getting such good penetration, they got too good a penetration. And they just overran the play. And that's something that Coach Wash has got to work on. As you get to a point in time where you get a certain level of penetration, you got to kind of hold firm because if you keep going, they're just going to ride you out and the quarterback's going to step right up behind you. And those are things that they're going to have to continue to work on and improve upon. But I think I'm going to, I think it'd be really good to kind of bring get some film out, Blaine, and answer this question. So I I literally wrote that down as a football 101. And I'm going to I'm going to add that to my list of things. And we're going to, we're going to get into those here soon, especially once the coaching hires get made. So uh, that's a, a good question. Jay wiki jr says, based on what you know about Washington strengths, uh, who do you think will benefit the most from him being hired? Sorry if this was addressed, just got on. No, it's okay. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can answer that question at this point in time. I'm just going to be honest. I've heard, you know, technical, technical guy, you know, Develops great relationships. I've heard from I mean, he's already working on building his relationships with his players and trying to get them over for dinner and you know, things like that. Once the NCA kind of gives the okay and Notre Dame gives the okay, like really working on that. That's an important piece of that. But I don't know enough about how he coaches the D line to be comfortable answering that question. And and you know, that's kind of part of the bigger picture of the ifs, Jay, is that like those are the things I just don't know. At this point in time, and I wish I did, but I just don't have an answer. John Climax says, Will they continue to have D linemen that penetrate and get tackles for loss, or will they go back to gap fillers? Is this something that Mar- Marcus Freeman will have a say in, or the new DC? Look, Marcus Freeman's gonna determine what direction the defense goes. Which means there won't we will not be getting back to Notre Dame being a two gap defense. They're going to be a one gap penetrating defense. That's who Marcus Freeman is. That's what he believes in, and that's what we're going to see. Now, that doesn't mean there can't be times for two gapping, especially like in short yardage goal line. But I the the defense is going to be a one gapping defense. Michael Thayer, I did want to address this. Michael says, I just want the stadium to be more a, a more hostile environment. Went to every home game. Fans are just not rowdy enough. I hope Freeman can change this. I think he will to a degree. I think part of it is, number one, the home schedule hasn't been great. It's hard to get fired up for a team that stinks. Number one. Number two, I think think Brian Kelly's team has often been... uh, I'm trying to think of how to say this. There just was no fire... And eventually that kind of bleeds into the fan base. We talked about this like a tailgate. It's like there just was no energy about the season. And I think a lot of that had to do with 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 Brian Kelly and the way he ran his program. I expect there to be more energy and excitement with Marcus Freeman and in, in Now he's got to win because that goes away if you don't win. And you know, I I think so better schedule and a more energetic, fiery team that really comes out and plays with emotion like when the players play with emotion the fans feed off that and then vice versa and so i think that's part of it as well and then here's the last one i'm going to get to because my uh, i apologize again my voice is starting to go a little bit but i did want to get to some of these questions chief brody says how shocking was the fiesta bowl performance still can't get over how the offense ripped them for 35 points and we lost did we did we miss something going in no, I don't think we miss anything to go again. I just don't think they played well. I mean, look, that it happens sometimes, right? It, it, it happens sometimes. I just don't think they played well. They didn't do. They didn't really play well in regards to gap control. I mean, gap integrity. They lost contain a lot more than normal. The tackling was abysmal. That we talked about as a concern going in. Clarence Lewis had the worst game of his career. He's never played that bad. If Clarence Lewis would have played that game like he had all year, they wouldn't have made as many plays on him. And they didn't make any adjustments. And that's the other thing. is like they just didn't make any defensive adjustments. And so, I, look, sometimes you just don't play well. And this was one game. It was outside of the norm. Just like in 2019, the Michigan game for the defense, Clark Lee's defense gave up over 300 rushing yards to Michigan that game. Nobody else did that before or after. Why? Because sometimes you just have a bad game. In my opinion, they just had a bad game. Now, if we see that kind of continue to manifest itself into this season, then obviously it's more than just a bad game. But based on what we saw all season, to me, it was just a bad game. And that's really what it boils down to. And I don't think that we're going to see that a whole lot. So... Before we leave, I do want to bring this up. We're going to wrap up after this. But Ladarius Martin, our resident Alabama fan in our chat, uh, sounds like his mom is on hospice and uh, isn't doing good. Ladarius, you will absolutely, man, you will absolutely be in our prayers. Uh, you know, it's all fun and games. You know, you're a Bama fan. We're a Notre Dame fan. But, man, we, we love you. We love that you you come into our channel all the time. Uh, you've been a great part of our community. You don't have to necessarily be a Notre Dame fan to be part of the Irish Breakdown family. And you are part of the Irish Breakdown family. And you will certainly you will certainly be in our prayers. A lot of us will be praying for you, praying for your mom, praying for strength, praying for patience and peace and encouragement, uh, no matter what the outcome is, man. So um, you asked for prayer, you got it. We got your back. And uh, I, hope, I hope your mom ends up being okay. But if not, I pray for strength for you and your family that you guys can, can, uh, can grow as a family through this. So, uh, we're going to end it on that. And I want to thank everybody for being a part of our show today. Uh, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, give us a five-star review. If you're listening via the podcast, check out the Irish breakdown message board at boards at IrishBreakdown.com. A lot of good conversation going on there. And of course, uh, if you're someone who believes in the power of prayer, as I do, Keep Ladarius and his mom and his entire family in your prayers as, uh, as they deal with her sickness. So everybody have a great rest of your day. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, had a great conversation with Ryan uh, Roberts last night. We talked about our new podcast schedule coming forward as we look for different ways to incorporate more recruiting into our shows. Uh, so we're really excited about that. Got a lot going on. Uh, so check it all of it out, everybody. And uh, I just also talked to Ryan Roberts, too the punter that just transferred in as a preferred walk-on, this is not a scholarship being taken by somebody. So he's a punter just announced he was transferring to Notre Dame. He will not. It's not a scholarship move. That's a preferred walk-on move. So I just wanted to make sure everybody was clear on that. That's why we didn't really dive into that and address that during the show. So, all right, everybody, have a great rest of your day. Prayers for Ladarius and his family. Prayers for all of you that are going through the storms. And uh, stay safe and uh, know that your IB family's here pulling for you, everybody. So have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again very, very soon.